according to Jesus Christ, the road you have chosen, your own way, whatever that may be, will lead you to only one destination, and that is the everlasting destruction of your soul and body in a place he calls the Gehenna of Fire. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his series with part four of Two Gates, One Decision. Tolerance and inclusivity are virtues in many areas of life. By comparison, claims of absolute truth can often seem shocking especially because they are exclusive in nature. And it is this seemingly jarring reaction that the truth claims of Jesus can evoke in those who hear his words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Well, as Tom closes out his study today, he'll present the final warnings for those on the spiritually wide path, approaching the gate of destruction, as compared to the incredible hope that is available only through the narrow gate that is Jesus Christ. You'll be reminded that salvation through Christ is absolutely exclusive, yet it's available to all who repent and believe. Let's join Tom now as he reminds us of this remarkable truth here on The Word Unleashed. So there are these two paths. One of them is broad and wide and spacious and inviting. You can make your own choices. The other is very narrow and restrictive and confined. But let me urge you, don't make your decision about which path to choose based on the comfort of the path, but on the destination. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, puts it this way. He said, no man in his wits would choose to go to the gallows because the way to it is smooth and pleasant nor refuse the offer of a palace and a throne because the way to it is rough and dirty. That's illogical. You're willing to, to, to tolerate difficulty now if the path is leading where it ought to lead, where you want to be. He says, yet such absurdities as these are men guilty of when it comes to their souls. They look at the path and they say, not for me. And they don't look where the paths are leading. So the two gates open into two roads that represent two opposite lifestyles. One, my way, the other, Christ's way. The third contrast that Jesus describes here in this passage is between two destinations. He simply calls the first destination destruction. Notice verse 13. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. The Greek word translated destruction here occurs 18 times in the New Testament. It is used most often, almost entirely, of the eternal destiny of the wicked. In other words, it's used to point to the place of eternal, conscious, physical, and mental torment. Jesus had more to say about that destination than anyone else in all of Scripture. In fact, he describes it with great clarity. Let me show you just a couple of examples. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus is here describing that as his followers, we must not only avoid murder, we must also avoid the anger in the heart that leads to murder. Verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry 
with his brother shall be guilty before the court. In other words, if the commandment against murder were rightfully enforced as God intended it in a court of law, someone who's angry with his brother would be condemned as guilty of murder. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, in other words, with anger in his heart, starts throwing out blasphemy is the, is the idea in the Greek text, but the idea is um, to slander, start slandering someone out of anger, that person shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. In other words, if all you did was have an outburst of anger in which you called other people names, Jesus said, if God's law were enforced the way it could be enforced, and really with the heart of God, you could be convicted before the Supreme Court of the land as guilty of murder. Your, your conviction of murder would stand all the way to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, again, in an outburst of anger, shall be guilty enough to go into, and here's his description, into the fiery hell. Literally, the Gehenna of fire. Gehenna is a Greek word which describes a valley just outside the city walls of Jerusalem where the trash was collected and burned. There was constantly a fire burning there. Jesus used this word again and again to describe the, the eternal destiny of those who refused God's forgiveness in him. He says, where they will spend eternity is like that place outside the wall of Jerusalem where the fire is constantly burning in the trash dump. In verse 29, he says it's so bad. Here he's talking about adultery and lust. He says that place is so bad that if your right eye makes you stumble, that is, makes you sin, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna, into hell. If your right eye, or right hand rather, makes you stumble, makes you sin, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna, into hell. In other words, it's so bad that if you could keep yourself from sinning by plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand, which of course you can't, he's simply saying you ought to be willing to take radical steps to deal with sin because where sin will ultimately put you is that bad. There are other places where Jesus in Matthew talks about this place, but I want you to turn to Matthew 25 because here he, he fast forwards to the end of the tribulation period. He's going to describe a judgment. This is not the great white throne judgment that's described in Revelation chapter 20. That's when all the wicked dead are resurrected and judged. This instead is a judgment of the living. At the end of the tribulation period, those who have survived the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, will be judged. Matthew 25 verse 31 When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, everybody. And then he will separate them individually from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to distinguish those who really belong to him and those who don't. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, he's saying, you really belong to my kingdom. And then he describes their behavior. It's not that their behavior got them into his kingdom. You have to come in as a beggar in spirit. It's that because they're in his kingdom, they love the others who were in his kingdom as well. And he describes that here. Verse 41, he will say also to those on the left, this is the other crowd. 
Depart from me. There's the first part of divine judgment. Eternal separation from God. Depart from me, those who are under God's curse, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who refuse God's forgiveness in Christ and who manifest their lack of belonging to Christ by their lack of love for others who are in his kingdom, they're told to depart into eternal fire. Verse 46, this is crucial. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here you have the two destinations. And I want you to notice the same word in English and in Greek is used for both of those destinations. In other words, the punishment of the wicked lasts just as long as the joys of heaven. They will never cease to exist. That is, the people who are sent to eternal fire will never cease to exist. The Bible nowhere teaches annihilation. They will never be given a second chance. Notice Jesus specifically says, the punishment is eternal. Those who have refused God's offer of forgiveness in his son will suffer his full fury and wrath forever. This is what Jesus taught. They will endure not only the assaults of an accusing conscience, but the fiery wrath of an offended God for all eternity. The God to whom they said, no thanks, I don't want any of your son, I don't want any forgiveness, I want my way. Scripture describes the punishment of the wicked in remarkable ways. This is hard for me, for for me to teach. I know it's hard for you to hear, but I want you to listen to how the Scripture describes this destination. These are phrases from the scripture itself. Everlasting fire, unquenchable fire. It's a place of shame and everlasting contempt. It's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A place of torments and flame, everlasting destruction, fire and brimstone where the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. A lake of fire and brimstone where the wicked are tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and struggling with this whole idea of eternal punishment for the wicked. I mean, for temporal sins, eternal punishment. But remember, it's not the length of time one sins. It's the greatness of the person against whom one sins that determines the extent of the punishment. And if you struggle believing in an eternal place of suffering, understand your argument's not with me. You don't decide whether you're going to believe it based on what I'm saying. What you do have to answer, though, is are you going to continue to believe yourself about this or are you going to believe Jesus Christ? Because this is what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus says, unless you have entered the narrow gate, you have already entered the wide gate. In other words, there's no neutral territory. If you haven't entered the narrow gate, you've entered the wide gate. And that wide gate opened before you into a broad, spacious lifestyle that allows you to live basically however you want. You choose. You may prefer a decent, moral lifestyle. A lot of people do because, frankly, it's good for them. Keeps them out of trouble, makes them feel good about themselves. That may be what you've chosen. Or you may have chosen to run your sin out to the full and to just do whatever you want. Either way, it is still your own way. It is not the lifestyle of love for God and obedience to Jesus Christ. And here's the great tragedy. 
according to Jesus Christ, the road you have chosen, your own way, whatever that may be, will lead you to only one destination, and that is the everlasting destruction of your soul and body in a place he calls the Gehenna of fire. It's a place like that eternally burning trash dump outside the city of Jerusalem. The wide gate, that is every entry point except Jesus, leads to the broad road of one's own way. And the broad road leads to destruction. Now Jesus refers to the other destination simply as life. Don't you love that? Life. Look at verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Obviously, he's speaking here of eternal life. It's like that described in John chapter 3, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not face destruction, but have eternal life. Or as John 3.36 says, later in that same chapter, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God is abiding on him. If you haven't believed in the Son this morning, God's anger hangs over your head like a thunderstorm, ready to unleash when he chooses. But if you have believed in his son, you have today eternal life. You see, we normally think of eternal life as life that lasts forever, and it does. But listen, everybody's going to live forever in one place or another. Eternal life is not only life that lasts forever, it's life of a different quality. It's a quality of life that enables you who once were dead to God now to know God. Here's how Jesus defined it in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, eternal life means your soul wakes up to know God. Jesus said, you're on one of these two roads, and that road will eventually end in one of two destinations. The road of obedience to Jesus Christ will eventually end in life. The road of your own way, whatever that is, will eventually end in your eternal destruction. Now the final contrast in this passage is a contrast between two crowds. Notice Jesus refers to the first crowd as the many. Verse 13, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction And there are many who enter through it. That is a very sobering thought. This is Jesus Christ, the one who will be the judge. And he says that most people in our world have entered the wide gate, are on the broad road, and are headed to eternal destruction. This is what the scriptures teach in Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. It says, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understand, who seek after God. Here was the divine verdict. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Most of the people 
who have ever lived and who live now on this planet have walked through the wide gate, are on the broad road, and they're headed to eternal destruction. The other crowd, Jesus simply refers to as the few. Notice verse 14. The gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Think about Jesus' own ministry. After Jesus' earthly ministry of three and a half years, and after his resurrection, remembering now, he ministered to thousands, of, he fed thousands of people, tens of thousands gathered to hear him. How many true disciples were there of Jesus after his resurrection? According to the Apostle Paul, there were 500 who met in Galilee as he commanded after his resurrection. Only 500. That's why throughout Scripture, those whom God saves are called the remnant. The remnant. When compared with the world's population today, there are relatively few who have entered the narrow gate and who are on the narrow way. Remember, there's 7 billion people on earth. Only 2.5 billion of those even profess Jesus Christ. By the time you subtract those in Christianity who claim and embrace a false Christ or a false gospel, you're left with less than a billion. And then you subtract those who Jesus said there will be many who know the true gospel and who make a false profession of that gospel, and you're left with only a few. That's why in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus said, Many are called, that is, called through the gospel, but few are chosen. Now, don't misunderstand. Elsewhere, Jesus says there will be many who are saved. And in fact, in Revelation, the crowd around the throne is described as a multitude which no man can number. But compared to the overall population of the world, it's, it's just a few. Don't miss Jesus' major point here. And that is that you are in one of these two crowds. You're either with the few or you're with the many. If you have chosen to enter the narrow gate, the way of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and his gospel, then you are on a path that is marked by obedience to Jesus Christ. And as a result, you love the other people who are on the path with you. But this invites an important question, a crucial question really that I think all of us have, and that is, does occasional failure to obey Christ mean that I'm still on the broad way? Let Martin Lloyd-Jones answer that. I love this. Listen to him. He says the answer is no. The questions that have to be asked in light of this text are these. Have you decided for this way of life? Have you committed yourself to it? Have you chosen it? Is this what you want to be? Is this what you're endeavoring to be? Is this the life you're hungering and thirsting after? What our Lord is saying in effect is this. My people are the people who want to follow me, those who are striving to do so. They often fail and fall into temptation, but they are still on the way. Failure does not mean that they've gone back onto the broad way. You can fall on the narrow way. But if you realize that you've done so and immediately confess and acknowledge your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you have embraced the true gospel, and if in your heart of hearts you are striving to obey and follow Jesus Christ, then you're among the few. 
If on the other hand, you entered the wide gate, that's every possible way but Jesus Christ and his gospel, then you are on a path that can best be described as your own way. And most people on this planet are on the same wide road with you. And that makes you feel really comfortable for now. Frankly, you feel a lot more comfortable with the people on the broad road than those narrow-minded Christians who are actually trying to do what the Bible teaches. You can choose to stay with the crowd and to feel comfortable and to be at home here. But understand this, when this life ends, there's only one place, Jesus says, that choice will take you. And that is to eternal destruction of your body and soul. That's what Jesus taught. On the other hand, you can choose to travel the difficult road of obedience to Christ through this life. And you'll be on that path with just a few. But that's the road that leads to life and to God's eternal presence. Only two gates with two paths and two destinations and only one choice. You can either stay on the broad road, which you're already on, or you can go through the narrow gate. That's why Jesus begins verse 13, enter the narrow gate. Listen, Jesus is pleading with you today through this text, just like he pled with those who were gathered on that hillside that day to hear him. He's saying to you, enter the narrow gate. Look where it's going. Look where you're going to destruction. He's warning, admonishing, pleading. I want you to turn to one last text as we conclude our time together. Turn with me to Luke 13. On another occasion, Jesus was asked about this very issue. Luke 13, verse 22 He was passing through from one village, one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? The crowds at this point in his ministry had largely left him. And he said to this person who asked this question, you strive to enter through the narrow door. And the word for strive there is the Greek word from which we get our word agonize, agonizomai, strive with all of your might to enter through the narrow door. And then he says, because when judgment comes, there will be many who will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And then you'll begin to say, Lord, we we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, Jesus says, you better today strive to enter the narrow gate, the narrow door, because there's a time coming when God himself will shut the door. He'll bar the gate. Today is the day. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series, Two Gates, One Decision. Tom will have a new series for you on our next broadcast. Do join us then. And Tom, you've shared throughout this series on the importance of entering the narrow gate through Jesus. 
Can you speak to those listeners who might be questioning if they have indeed entered through Jesus? You know, Bill, I concluded by saying that the real question is, are you following Christ? In John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Have you made the decision to follow Christ? Have you believed in him to the extent that he has become your Lord and you're following him, learning from him, obeying him? That's not how you become a Christian, but that's the test of whether or not you are on the narrow way. So you have to step back before that and ask yourself, have I entered the right gate? Have I believed in the biblical Jesus and the biblical gospel I'm not trusting in myself and anything in me and anything I've done, but my faith and confidence is solely in the work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And that faith has evidenced itself by a desire, a compelling desire to follow him. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.